Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. That fear of failure, letting my father down, was the driving force behind me. And as a boy of 17, I, I obtained a dream. And the fear then was that I would die before I'd realized my dream. Again, because I'd witnessed death at a very young age. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. So in this week's podcast, we're going to talk about grief and loss when it comes to parents and kids. Mm. Um, how to talk to kids when their mum or dad passes away and probably when they're little kids yeah. as well. Sort of the impact that has, I think it's every parent's sort of nightmare that one day they might have to have that conversation with their kids. Mm. And it's one conversation. I don't think you ever practice. You practice the don't drink, the don't take drugs conversations. Be careful with when you're going out, but you never have. I don't think as a parent, unless you have a partner who's coming to the end and you've decided how you're going to do it. I don't think you ever go, okay. well, if ever anything happens, my husband, I'm going to say X. So when it happens and you do have to tell them you're totally unprepared. And sometimes I think and I often wonder, did I do it the right way? Because sometimes you sort of think that what you say in those moments is going to stay with them for the rest of their life. Yeah, particularly this Mm. this week's episode, I think obviously must have been quite hard for you when people are talking about how it impacts kids, I guess. Mm. What Did you find it difficult? I did. Well, I suppose because my eldest son w- w- came with me to the hospital when they tried to resuscitate Martin and he was 12. But Arlo and Casper were seven and five. Mm. So while Arlo had been there when Martin died, me and Casper weren't, they went and spent the day with the neighbour and had a great time. So it was only when they came back. Yeah. And then... I, I, and I told them and Casper's reaction was, well, who's going to be my daddy now? And Arlo just got really upset. And then they both asked to go and play the Wii because yeah. the Wii had just come back. So it sort of like was normality sort of continued. But, you know, I think you always go. I remember because they didn't know Martin had cancer. I remember when I was sort of thinking about how I was going to tell Felix that Martin had cancer and... I went over it and over it in my head and will I do it this way and when will I do it and how will I do it and will I do it on a Friday afternoon because then I don't have to rush off or will I do it? Yeah. So you plan that so meticulously but yet 
you know, the day Martin died because it was so sudden that I was in shock as well that I sometimes wonder like it seems so quick it was like I told them and then they went off to do their yeah. thing and I went back into the kitchen and it was like okay I've done it I've done it yeah. and it's, it is it is a weird thing well and also you can't predict so you can predict how you're going to behave mm. and you can plan how you're going to behave but you have no idea how they're going to react like but, you said you probably wouldn't have imagined they'd go play the Wii yeah but the, and the weirdest thing is if it's a shock like that or sudden yeah. like that you don't really think it through because you're actually in a state of shock of yourself. Um, so on this podcast, we're talking yeah. to a very, very different, I think, Marco Pierre yeah, White. Absolutely. Um, his mum passed away when he was six in a very different era. He grew up in quite a Victorian yeah. household. So there wouldn't be all this empathy, which also yeah. we talk about with Owen Connolly, but there wouldn't have been this comfort or the empathy or the like checking, you know, yeah. the child's OK. And as a result his family became quite divided and disjointed yeah. and it actually for me was very moving because the first time I, sp- I spoke to him I had no idea what was about to happen to me or my kids mm. so this time through different lens. it was a totally different thing and yeah. it's like he paints this picture of a time 51 years ago when his mum died yeah. and it's sort of like that picture hasn't really changed yeah it's I mean, I think he was so generous. Mm. He is so generous when he talks about this because um, he really remembers it in great detail. Um, He also really can identify his feelings all throughout his life attached to his mom, which I think some of us aren't that evolved to to know exactly how it affected us. But he really he really does. Mm. And he also holds her memory so beautifully. Um, And you can can really picture her Mm. and what he went through. Um, He talks a lot about how nature, that's something that hasn't come up yet on the podcast, but I thought was a really interesting point about how nature really helped him get through it, even though he doesn't sound like he had a lot of um, tools or anyone around Mm. him to really help um, in that way. So we have kind of a really interesting podcast because we're talking to Marco about that. But then we also are talking to uh, Owen Conley uh, from a psychology point of view, what it's like for children when they lose a parent at a young age and ways to help them and also just ways that they process it. The loss of a parent is a devastating and life-altering moment for any child to overcome. To speak to us about this and the long-term effects of parental loss, we're delighted to be joined in studio by Owen Connolly of the Connolly Counseling Centre in Dublin. Owen is a consultant psychologist, family therapist, and co-author of the book Parenting for the Millennium. Owen, thanks so much for coming in. Um, this is a topic we've talked about on the podcast a couple of times now, mm. but it's something that's just so important, I think, to help equip parents who are dealing with a child who has, has lost another parent. Um, and we talked to Marco Pierre White recently about the loss of his mother when he was just six years old and how that really for the rest of his life has really uh, changed the course of it in many ways. Um, can you talk about the impact of a child losing a parent, especially when they're quite young? Uh, I can indeed. In fact, it's a really desperate thing for a, a particularly a young boy because there's some sort of connection. Should you lose your mum, uh, I say up to maybe up to seven or eight years of age, uh, you know, uh, if, before that, that kind of time, well, it's going to be really, really painful for you because that attachment that you need to um, give you a sense of confidence, a sense of self, um, it, it's just gone. You just don't have it. You, you kind of go around some, like a big feeling of loss in you all the time. So you have a, a permanent grief. Mm. Um, it's like there's something that's missing out of your life that you can't really fill. I know when um, my husband died, the one thing, obviously, the first thing you you are concerned about is the kids and how they'll be and... We're going to talk a bit, I think, in a little few minutes about how you tell kids 
that this has happened. But the one thing that I kept being told her, oh, well, kids are very resilient. They'll be fine. Kids are very resilient. And I was, I, I still find that very hard. And yes, they are. And kids are amazing the way they'll get on with their lives. And they actually teach you how to do it as an adult. But it sort of almost, I find it quite irritating in a way because it's like, they may be resilient, but this is something that will ultimately, whether you want it to define them or not, it is going to define them. Well, yes, they are resilient and they'll overcome everything. Mm. But the thing is that what they're left with is sort of a big hole. So it's kind of a grief that they can't really, you know, manage. Um, So what you need to understand is that every child, you, me, all of us, we all are governed by emotional reasoning in the first 10 years of our lives. So it's what you feel. If I feel something, so the feeling of grief, the feeling of loss, all of those things, and our body never forgets. It kind of stores that piece of information. And therefore, later on in life, that can have an impact on the way in which you engage with other people. So if you had the loss of a parent, you know, up to maybe even 10 years of age, and the feeling was so awful that awful feeling is there it doesn't sort of go away Mm. it kind of stays even a little bit hidden but it does emerge though at different times Mm. in your life and And can can certain things trigger it then there's certain things that they just you know you go somewhere and they don't have what you want in the Mm. shop can that trigger that sort of oh absolutely you see remember we're talking about the the Grief is, is loss. Mm. So most people will experience loss in life and we'll all do it. I've done it. You've done it. And, and at my age, I'm going to see more and more of the people around me, including myself, are going to go one of the days. The thing is that loss is going to happen. We experience it and we kind of we get over it if we're comforted and so on. And that's a really important part of dealing with loss is to comfort the person and understand that they have a pain that needs to be kind of dealt with Mm. uh, to help them to be stronger but if you don't have that comforter if you don't have the the mum for instance Mm. there to comfort you you have a dad who wants to try and do what's right may not have the same emotional content to comfort the young boy or the young girl Mm. for that matter who has lost a parent very early on Um, uh, if you don't have that sort of level of empathy and I think that one of the f- features that I would like to see men more uh, experience is really getting in touch with their emotional side so they can indeed engage with that part of them and they have it. It's mm. just that they don't use it often enough yeah. with the children that they have in their care. So it's really important to understand that the only healing process for a loss is to be comforted and comforted on, on the basis that to lose something is an awful thing, no matter what it is, whether it be a precious watch, uh, whether it be a, a goldfish, mm. whether it be a pet dog or pet cat. They, they also generate the same kind of real hard uh, emotional hurt. Mm. And it needs to be understood and they need to be comforted. And you don't laugh it off when somebody says that her cat or dog or whatever died. You actually need to comfort them because it for them it's a loss it's an attachment they've made and the loss of that attachment is what hurts and you need to comfort that that's the first time on the podcast the mm. word comfort has been mm. mentioned and actually I think that's really really important Oftentimes, I think when people are exposed to grief or grief is kind of brought up people they push it away because it's uncomfortable for them to deal with when in reality comfort is what's needed you also mentioned insecurity for kids that they kind of carry an insecurity is there any way to help them through that and to help build that security so that it doesn't kind of you know stay with them for for a long time 
Well, there is, of course, and I think that more and more the professionals and the psychology end of things understand this whole process better. And they understand that there has to be a sort of a leaving uh, of the cleaving. In other words, they have to leave your mom and dad and go on into the world. But recognize that in you was a love, an amazing love, an unconditional love in every single child that's born into the world for their parents. They want to express that. They say, I love you, daddy. I love you, mommy. And they genuinely mean that. They're not judging. They're actually loving. And so that loving concept that's in them, that's expressed uh, to the parents, well, really, they need to have the other people in the world who help them to say goodbye to mom, say, I love you, mom, but I must say goodbye because you have to let that go. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that concept of being able to let go, then you're holding on to something that you can do nothing with. You know, it's like uh, trying to uh, put your arms around a, a piece of, of steel because mm-hmm. there's nothing there to warm you. Mm-hmm. So the idea of letting go is really an important part of the actual dealing with the grief. So what you're saying is you should encourage kids to just to say, to let it I go. I love you, Daddy, but I must say goodbye to you now. Uh, and, and I'm going to get on and I'm going to be the proudest little boy you've ever had in your life. Again, this is uh, it's an important thing because sometimes um, what we are forgetting is that children like to have a sense that there's something else. Look, we're very good at, you know, agreeing that there's a Santa Claus. Why not agree that there's something else as well mm. that that you can say, well, dad's with something else now. He's in a, a whole new world, mm. but he'll be watching over you. The child accepts mm. that there's a Santa Claus, except there's a bunny and all these kind of things. They will equally accept that you're talking about something that is greater than themselves. Mm. That is in that care now, but he's watching over you or mummy yeah. or whatever mm. the case may be. And these are the comforters because yeah. the child needs to have something to fill that little space. Yeah. How important is it, though, to keep the person alive and keep talking about the person that's passed on? Well, it's very important because the one thing that children absolutely hate is the idea that they might forget what their mummy looked mm. like or what their daddy looked like. And I would say to every parent, and I've said it over and over again, you get a, a really nice picture of the dad or the mum and you want that to be in the room. And you want it to be in the room as here's dad looking out for you here's mom looking out for you then they have that picture and they won't let it doesn't go out of their heads the biggest fear children have is that they might forget what mommy or daddy looks like mm. we have um two hats at home because when martin had cancer obviously lost Correct. he lost his hair so two bobble hats which i've kept which the youngest two sometimes wear because mm-hmm. they, they smell of their dad. Yeah. And is that a good thing to do? Or is that does that just maybe reopen the wound? Or is it is it therapeutic? Mm-hmm. Does it get it out? Does no, it? I think it's very good. And mm-hmm. it's not, you see, we're not like opening wounds. We're actually healing by comforting. Mm-hmm. Comfort is to have something of the clothes of that person or some of the perfume of that person or something of uh, that they can sort of hold on to that f- feels like that belonged to. Mm-hmm. That's These are all important things. They fill a little bit of these holes in their lives. And if they are done, if it's done correctly and properly with the right kind of empathy and the right kind of comforting, well, then that child will successfully get on with their lives. If that child is not comforted or if they're treated well, oh, you have to forget that now. And yeah, that's all. And we get on with this. In fact, I mean, I get really sad sometimes when parents won't even allow their children to go to the funerals or even go mm-hmm. to see the parents mm-hmm. laid out because they really need to have closure. If they don't see these things happen, they're left in a very funny a place. Limbo. They don't know yeah, yeah. what's going on. So I'm a, a, an advocate that 
Yes, this is life. Life starts in the womb and it goes all the way through and it comes into this new world and then you're with us. And then, of course, we leave this world and we must go to another world, another womb, another yeah. place. So, uh, you know, we can speak like that to children and they actually will like to have something like that. And then you don't have children thinking, oh, there's nothing. Uh, look, and these young people that are so hurt, so upset over trivial things and they take their own lives. So we want to stop that kind of thing happening. If we comfort children, if we tell them that they are precious and special and amazing and that they have love in them. And unfortunately, sometimes that we want them to be loving us and we are not loving them back. We need to be like a mirror, really, as they're loving us. We're mirroring it back so that they can take ownership of that love themselves. And so start loving themselves from the very beginning. That's a really important part of you comforting and raising your kids. Mm. You mentioned empathy, um, which is, some, is something that I, I'm so fascinated by because uh, it, do you think it's something that people can work on, exercise and develop? Obviously, we hopefully have it in us, but people struggle with it. I think as adults, it's not that they don't feel things or don't feel um, sympathy or empathy for someone, but sometimes they find it hard to practice it. I think I've noticed. Mm. Is that something that can be worked on? Oh, absolutely. I have to say that uh, with my hands up, I was the most unempathetic person you've ever met on the planet until I got married and then sometime along my marriage my wife reminded me that I didn't have this wonderful gift in mm -hmm. me. In fact I do and I did but I had never let it be exercised mm -hmm. and a lot of men don't and they don't even know how to do it and I think that our marriage my marriage to my wife which will be in March this year I'll be 50 years married to her <laughs> which is fantastic and I, you know, I mean she's got a special place in heaven if there is a place like that for her for being with me for this length of time and actually putting up with the time when I wasn't empathetic but I'm, I'm saying that um, what I understand as a psychologist is that we have you know women and men have wonderful brains but they're very different there's a difference in the way in which we start off Women start off with a more lateral side of their brain functioning and it's uh, more attached to touchy-feely, all that sort of thing. The guys start off with the linear side of their brain, which is more fact and numbers and adding up and, you know, all that. And so uh, often that's encouraged to grow. And the men's side of their brain, which deals really with the task and sort of being there and being the soldier, um, they really need to move from soldier to poet and poet to soldier and have that everything else in between. They have the capacity to do it, but they don't seem to want to exercise that until they fancy some girl and <laughs> they go chasing her and then being all gooey and so on. So what we would like to see happen, even in the schools, that boys get to learn about that part of mm -hmm. their brain. The right hand side of their brain typically is the emotional side. And that needs to be encouraged and grown because if it doesn't, what happens is that the guys only see themselves one dimensional. Whereas women, by the way, are two dimensional. They have both the, uh, the empathetic and the, the practical. They have mm -hmm. both operating for them. Therefore, they have um, a huge advantage. And I'd like to see that re reversed because we shouldn't have anything like a them and ours anyway. Mm. But we should understand how we're designed. If we understand the design and we exercise that design in the school systems in the home systems, and then we have the boys who will actually have a real sense of, of, of having a caring. And they do have that mm. in them, but it has to be exercised. It has to be taught a little bit and it has to be said that it's OK to cry and it's mm. OK to yeah. feel things and it's OK to be sensitive. Um, whereas that wasn't allowed before. Just want to go back to when 
a parent dies and um, you've got to tell kids, no matter what age they are, that daddy or mummy has died and moved on. And it's not something you ever, I don't think, go, oh, I must remember this is what I have to say when, because you never really expect it. So, and in the day it happens, you're not really in your right frame of mind anyway. But for anybody who, for whom it might be on the cards, unfortunately, or it is expected, how should a parent tell their child that the worst has actually happened and um, mummy or daddy has died? Isn't that always the big question? Mm. And it's always the scariest question you have to deal with? Well, the only way to deal with it is honestly. You start off, your dad had a, a lovely life, but unfortunately it was cut short. Mm. He had a sickness that took him away and so he's not going to be with us anymore. Your dad has passed. And so that's the part of it. He's at peace now. He's no longer in pain. I mean, you've got to really bring the message across. And I know how this is going to pain you. I know how much this is going to hurt you. And we all need to hug each other together on this because we're all hurting from this. Mm. Nobody wants daddy to go away or mommy to go away. We want them to be with us forever. And no matter how old we get, we don't want to lose our parents. Yeah, we get to be, you know, oh, she had a good old age or he had a good old age. And, but actually that doesn't, no, it's still that your mum and dad. Yeah. No, no, it's still your mum and dad. You still suffered a lot. And particularly what happens to a lot of people, they worry about, I never said this, and I should have said that, and only if I had forgiven, or only if I had. Uh, these are the things. And you really need to have to say that when somebody passes on, all the debts are paid. Mm. All the debts are paid. There's no need for forgiveness, and no need that you had to go back there with that. That's all gone now. All the debts mm. are paid. And uh, th to really release them of the possibility of the worries. Now, I know that the, the little girl might think, oh, and, I, and I wanted daddy to walk me down the aisle. Or she might, you know, she mm. might be of that age. Or I wanted mommy to be there for my special day uh, or to see my first child. All of these things are real. They're real in their minds. They have that image of what it was going to be like with dad and mom in the future. Uh, and unfortunately, that future is taken away. But that's what you need to be comforting. Down the line and sort of as the years go on, is there sort of a definitive cutoff point where you should expect kids to be sort of moving forward? Is there is there a point where you go, OK, we're at five years now. They're OK. They're out the other side. Or is there ever really another side? To think that you could actually measure something like that, mm. because I think that measure... Grief is never measured and you can't. And people suffer grief very differently and they ought to understand that. I have people coming in to me that are still grieving four and five and six years after they've lost a partner because that was their life, in mm. fact. It was like somebody just cut their arm off. And so they don't have an arm now. And every time they thought I've even rolled over in the bed, it's they have the image of that person is no longer there for me. They look at the garden that person perhaps was always caring for, and they see it as in ruin and feel almost like disrespect for their partner. There's so many things go on in their heads. So there isn't a kind of cutoff. Um, people um, that have grief and experience grief, they need to let it take its course. And in some people, it's quite a long time, but they need to understand it's a normal part of their lives. I think that's a really empathetic way of looking at grief as well, that there is not necessarily a time limit on it, really, because um, like you said, some people, it does take a really long time for them to come to terms with those things. And I imagine with kids, it's probably 
totally different and very, very hard to know um, when that part of their heart has started to heal, I guess. Um, but it's been really interesting talking to you about this. Can I just say one other thing? You see, when as a child, there'll be little sort of periods in their lives that they'll go through. So they're, you know, they're going to and have a, a special service or something like that. They'd love their mom or dad to be there. That will be in their mind. They'll go to get married or they meet the boyfriend or the girlfriend. That will also mm-hmm. be part of their mind. So in essence, you know, every little bit of milestone of their lives, they, the thought will come to their mind about the parent that they have lost, that they would love to have been present. That will also mm, be part of the kind of returning a little bit of the grief. But there, you need to be there for them at that time. Yeah. If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion and empathy for those grieving. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Marco Pierre White is described by many as the godfather of modern cuisine and we're joined today by the chef and of course the restaurateur to speak about a subject that's very close to his heart. This February, the 20th of Feb, it'll be 51 years since he lost his mum to a brain hemorrhage and he was just six at the time. Marco, what do you remember about that day and 51 years on, is it still as clear as it was then? Yeah, it's very clear. Um, I'd just come back from the hospital uh, with my father. It was a Saturday morning and um, I'd had stitches removed. And it highlights how dominant my mother was within my life because I had no memories of my father before that day. And my mother stepped out of the kitchen with my younger brother, who had just been born. And she said to my father, can you um, take Simon? I'm not feeling that well. And then over the course of the next 
I don't know how many minutes it was. Um, I watched my mother sit down and I watched her go, not saying in and out of consciousness. She spoke very little and she said to my father, it's the end, Frank, it's the end. And so she obviously knew that something very mm. serious was happening. She hadn't been sick up to this point. She just had no. a, the new baby, but there was no sign before that this was on the cards. Then she started to deteriorate. And I remember my father went next door to ring the doctor. Because I suppose that's what most people did in the 60s. Uh, they called the doctor, and it was the doctor who called the ambulance. And I remember my father sending my brother and I upstairs. So we went upstairs, and um, I remember my mother being carried out and put into the ambulance, and the ambulance doors closing with red crosses, and um, watching the ambulance drive up the hill. And that was the last time I saw my mother. And as a six-year-old, I mean, the comprehension at that stage is... You, you know, you're it, you're sort of old enough to know what's going on. But what was going through your head when you saw that ambulance drive off up the hill? Did it ever occur to you that you wouldn't see your mum again? No, that thought never entered my mind. And I remember um, my father going to see my mother every night. And then he would come home and he would bring a sweet mm. and say, your mother sent me. So we were very unaware that she was on a life support machine at that time. And so life just was normal. And then I remember one evening, my father coming home and waking us all up and sitting us down and telling us that our mother had died tonight. And um, it didn't really impact on me like it did my brothers. Mm. So they cried, but I didn't. Mm. And it's like even when we went to the funeral, my brothers were very distressed because they were sort of six and seven years older than me. Mm. And... I suppose it was like a day trip for me, really. Um, I was really going. I just knew I was in my Sunday best. And my brother, Clive, snapped at me. And my father said to Clive, he says he doesn't understand. My own husband passed away there last February. And I remember when I told the kids... um, you know, that their dad had died and my youngest son was five at the time and the first thing he said to me was, well, who's going to be our daddy now? And I wonder, was that something that went through your head? Did you assume then that there was going to be another mum or did you just... that never went through my mind. I think what happened to me was that I became quite inward and all through my childhood, I would tend to be a loner. I'd go fishing by myself. I spent a lot of time in the English countryside did you feel angry? No, I just spent my time by myself. I suppose Mother Nature became my surrogate mother mm. on reflection. And um, my father was my father. Mm. And my brothers were six or seven years older than me. So I spent a lot of time by myself and with my own thoughts. Um, but of course, period in my life, mm. I never, ever expressed my hurt or the missing. Mm. Nowadays, the first thing that's often recommended for bereaved children is different forms of therapy, like play therapy or art therapy. Um, do you think that you would have benefited from that if you had had the chance to do something like that when you were a child? My father, the first thing he did was eradicate my mother from our lives. That's how he dealt with it. So we were all given one item of our mother. And then every photograph, every item of hers was removed from the house. Wow. Um, and I, 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 but that was his way of dealing with it. Um, because people deal with grief in very different ways. And, but I suppose my therapist was Mother Nature, being by myself. And do I think therapy helps? I can't answer that question because mm. I never had therapy. But all I know is that I had this love affair with nature and with the countryside in England. Yeah, you've got your Michelin stars. You've had huge success. 
Do, how much of your mum leaving you so young do you attribute to that? Do you feel she was always there behind you, pushing you and pushing you? I, I think, firstly, my fear of failure, uh, which was born out of my insecurities, which were linked to my mother's death, fueled me. Uh, that fear of failure, throwing my father down, was the driving force behind me. And as a boy of 17, I, I obtained a dream. And the fear then was that I would die before I'd realised my dream. Again, because I'd witnessed death at a very young age. Mm. And that was always my, my fear, and that's why I pushed and I pushed. And I went to the extremes that I went to, because I knew that I might not be here tomorrow. Mm. Like and it's, now I, I, sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, don't you think that sometimes that happens as well? When somebody dies really suddenly like that, and perhaps, you know, whether they've even been sick a short time, you sort of start thinking, oh, well, everyone's going to die now. That's, they've died, so I'm going to die. I didn't think like that. Everything was for the moment, and in many ways, everything I do today is for the moment. Hmm. And what I do do is I plan my children. Um, so even if I'm not here to guide them or protect them, what I will leave will guide them through my memories and my time spent with them. Yeah. And then I'll leave them a business which will protect them and look after them. So from a distance, I'm guarding them and protecting them. Which yeah. I think it's very important. Do you think that maybe you have a better relationship with your own kids now because of your own experience with grief and loss at such a young age? Do you think maybe it makes you a better dad or maybe, I don't know, maybe you're more involved than you would have been? As you know, I came from a very humble beginning. Mm. So therefore, I had to do housework from a very young age. I had to go to the shops and do the shopping for the house. And even when it came to preparing lunch or dinner, I always had to assist, whether it was peeling potatoes, whether it was peeling cows. So in a strange and sort of peculiar way, that tragedy assisted me in, in, in being the man I am today. You were saying there that when your mum passed away, you became a loner, you became very solitary. You found your comfort doing sort of solitary activities. But then in your biography, you've spoken quite a lot about it. Why now is it important to speak about it? And does it help you? Well, I think it's important to speak about people who you love or who played a significant part in your life. We're now no longer with us. No, it are. keeps them alive. I think, I think it keeps them alive and that's what I believe. I think if I didn't speak about my mum to my, my children or do what I'm doing today with yourself, I think it's very important because if someone listens to what we're speaking about today who suffered a similar tragedy, then they may take something from within it which assists them in dealing with it. It's hard to know what advice to give, but as someone who's gone through it from a child's perspective, what kind of advice would you give to adults in dealing with a child's grief after a family loss? Spend time. But I think Mother Nature will answer all your questions if you sit with her long enough. Your dad was diagnosed with lung cancer when you were 10. Now, you've talked about his way of dealing with his grief was eradicating your mum. You know, you had to sort of, would it be right to say, an uneasy relationship with him anyway when he was diagnosed with with cancer how did you deal with that as a 10 year old then having just lost your mum a few years before your instincts to survive take over and so you just deal with it Um, and I suppose I never thought that my father would die and you just I don't know you just take day by day moment by moment Um, I didn't love my father I respected him because that's how I was brought up was to respect him Mm. and never to challenge him, never to be rude to him, never to get into confrontation with him. And so therefore, my father was a, a strong man and a hard man. And you know, I just respected my father. And that was um, 
that was the way I was. And I just lived moment by moment, day by day. You know, you lost your mum very young. How do you look at your own mortality? The prospect of death, does that frighten you? Or do you feel you've achieved everything? Depends what you class as achieved. I, I, I think everything's a stepping stone to where I am today. Um, the tragedies, the successes, they're all stepping stones to where we end. I've never been an ambitious man. Um, so I like making things, I like creating things. Mm. That's what I do today, I make and I create. And again, once again, I hope that I live long enough to complete what I'm trying to build. Your mother's anniversary is coming up on the 20th of February. Um, is there anything that you do every year or something that you do to remember her on that day? Well, firstly, I always go to church, light a candle, um, have a little conversation with myself. Um, I tend to quite distant. Um, I tend to put myself into isolated space and I spend my time with myself. Okay. And it's something which I, I will never overcome. That maternal pain will always be within me. And you learn to live with it. Mm. Pain never gets any easier. And as I say, since I was a certain age, I started to say to myself, what would my mother expect of me? So before I make any decisions in life, I always have that conversation with myself. It's what would my mother expect of me? Because now I've grown up and I'm an adult, rather than a child, I always speak to my mother, what would my mother expect of me? Yeah. And I think that's very important. And so, you know, she's never left me and nor have I left her. Marco Pierre White, thank you very much for speaking to us today. And thank you for your time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.